0: and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. I want to present the change of season. It is now Libra season, which also means that we just had the autumn equinox on the northern hemisphere, and spring equinox on the Southern Hemisphere. And I'll speak from the Northern Hemisphere because that's where I'm located. In this decreasing of the light here on the Northern Hemisphere, I have been experiencing that in tandem with an increase in interiority, feeling um, a deepening of my inner universe and a deepening into the mystery of you know, encountering feelings and emotions and not being sure where they're coming from and investigating that. And of course that could happen all the time, but I'm noticing it in a kind of accelerated pace. And I also feel that that is due to the current Mars retrograde transit that is characterizing a lot of the rest of the year. Mars will station direct in November, but It won't leave shadow until January 2nd of 2021. So, this is a time period for getting clearer about our desires and our motivations. Mars is that quality that impels us toward action and toward activity, toward forward momentum. And so, when it stations retrograde on the external level, we can experience. Um, frustration or kind of blocks or delays or things that feel thwarting in some sense. And on an inner level, there's wrestling with different drives or inner conflict. And, you know, that doesn't always show up so obviously in terms of, you know, I'm having an inner conflict and I know exactly what poles of, you know, what polarity of experience I'm working with or what different choices I'm deliberating between. Sometimes it's a vague sense of frustration or discontent and having to really sit with that and inquire into what is this about? Why am I feeling this way? Personally, I have been unpacking a lot of things around beauty, and I feel like that's such a good thing for Libra season. And I'm anticipating the sun in Libra kind of squaring this Capricorn lineup later in Libra season. And On this episode, I interviewed Julie Hahn, who's a Libra. Julie took my evolutionary astrology intensive in January of 2019, and I wanted to share her story here with you all of how she worked in a hospital as a chaplain and brought Reiki into the hospital she was working at doing this work, Julie learned about presence, how to hold a calm or non-anxious presence in an otherwise high stress or emergency kind of situation, which is such a beautiful Libra expression, someone bringing balance into a tense situation. And one of the themes of this conversation that you'll find throughout is beauty. And that has been part of you know, this ongoing kind of motif of the last few weeks of really thinking about beauty, reading about beauty. And Julie, at the end of this um, conversation, when we stopped recording, and we're just catching up a little bit, she recommended a book to me called The Invisible, or she recommended an author to me, John O'Donohue. So I ordered the book, invisible brace, beauty, rediscovering the true sources of compassion, serenity, and hope. And I'll read a passage from it in a moment, but first a few more things about this episode. So we went into the story of Julie's experience bringing Reiki into the hospital and talking about what non-anxious presence is, how this relates to not only being able to de-escalate a situation, but how it can shift the trajectory of events that things that are kind of like miracles can occur. And again, considering the current moment, the transits that we recorded this during, so if you're listening to this in the future, you can think back to, you know, right now, it's as I'm recording this intro at September 27th, 2020. Um, But think back to this Mars retrograde or find yourself present in it if you're listening to this episode as it's coming out. And staying the impulses, so having an ability to recognize what's happening in our nervous system, recognize the stories that are going through our mind, and to choose consciously whether to act or not, is a really important skill that I think is important to have regardless of what the transits are, but I think is especially useful at this moment in time. And I'm going to read the passage about beauty. My eyes just caught a spider on my windowsill. And if you know me somewhat well, you know that I have a really deep connection with spiders. And, you know, they are totems for writers and they have a lot to do with weaving our reality. So I just wanted to acknowledge that friend in the corner over there. And here's the passage from this book. When we experience beauty, we feel called. The beautiful stirs passion and urgency in us and calls us forth from aloneness into the warmth and wonder of an eternal embrace. It unites us again with the neglected and forgotten grandeur of life. The call of beauty is not a cold call into the dark or the unknown. In some instinctive way, we know that beauty is no stranger. We respond with joy to the call of beauty because in an instant it can awaken under the layers of the heart a forgotten brightness. Plato said, Beauty was ours and all its brightness. Whole were we who celebrated that festival. Phaedrus. Beauty does not linger, it only visits. Yet beauty's visitation affects us and invites us into its rhythm. It calls us to feel, think, and act beautifully in the world, to create and live a life that awakens the beautiful. A life without delight is only half a life. Lest this be construed as a plea for decadence or a self-indulgence that is blind to the horrors of the world, we should remember that beauty does not restrict its visitations only to those whom fortune or circumstances favor. Indeed, it is often the whispers and glimpses of beauty which enable people to endure on desperate frontiers, even and perhaps especially in the bleakest times, we can still discover and awaken beauty. These are precisely the times when we need it most. Nowhere else can we find joy that beauty brings. Joy is not simply the fruit of circumstance. We can choose to be joyous independent of what is happening around us. The joyful heart sees and reads the world with a sense of freedom and graciousness. Despite all the difficult turns on the road, it never loses sight of the world as a gift. St. Augustine said, the soul is weighed and balanced by what delights her. Delight or enjoyment sets the soul in her ordered place. Where the delight is, there is treasure. Perhaps this is why there is such delight in beauty. In the midst of fragmentation and distress, beauty draws the soul into an experience where an elegant order prevails. This brings a lovely tranquility and satisfies the desire of the soul. When the beautiful continues on its way, the soul has been strengthened by a delight that will further assist her in transfiguring struggle. And I will leave it to the conversation now. I hope that you enjoy Welcome, Julie. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Oh, Sabrina, thank you. I am so excited to be with you and to see
1: your beautiful face.
0: (laughs) So good to see you. And um, I wanted to ask you what your early experiences of spirituality were like and um, what's inspiring you today. Great. Well, I was born into an Irish Catholic
1: family. And I cannot say that that was a spiritual experience, uh, but we certainly had a religious tradition. But one of the things spiritually that always, um, always just remained with me from being a little girl was my devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And in the Catholic tradition, you would make a uh, an altar during the month of May. And um, it, it was just such a. It was, it was experience with beauty because I got to go out into the garden and pick vases of flowers and then put them in front of her. And again, we were religious, but we were very spiritual. So there was, a, I was one of nine kids. So there was a lot of commotion going around, but it always made me, um, it, I, I was just drawn to the beauty of it. And then um, the other thing that we had um, around our, our, our home, I was born in Cleveland, Um, was we had these parks and I would always go to the parks and and bike or run. And um, I always found uh, just a profound um, peacefulness in nature. And that really resonates still with me today. So I would say, you know, this devotion to Mary and then kind of finding that spiritual component in nature, in the woods, and especially in, in gardens. So... That 's kind of my beginning of my relationship with uh with the spirit
0: can you tell us more about the Blessed Virgin Mary and what she represents sure um I,
1: I a little bit about my background and where i'm at now is that I did go um i my training is in uh, post um Master training in, in theology. So Mary is a historical figure who is represented in the Jewish tradition, the Islamic tradition, and the, the, the Christian tradition. And there's always this, there is this great devotion um, that all those traditions have in common. So my, my fascination with Mary, especially with the divine feminine, is that she's actually a historical figure. And there is an understanding that she was taken to heaven, body and soul. So a lot of the Eastern traditions have ascended masters, or we, you know, yin or, or mythical, um, you know, images of women, Isis, um, that we that mythology honors. And Mary is is a historical figure. So I have done a lot of work um, and studied a lot of the mystics who have had a devotion to Mary and and a real personal relationship with her. So I always found that fascinating, that this is someone that I could connect to historically, um, but also um, within her spiritual practice. She was Jewish, mother of Jesus Christ, but she was from a, a sect of the Jewish tradition called the Essenes. And that is very closely related to the Gnostic traditions, the Gnostic Gospels. And a lot of that research hasn't really come through uh, theologies, be it Catholic, especially the Roman Catholic theology. But it, it's very strong in the Greek Orthodox um, uh, theologies. So that that more of that mystical kind of spiritual tradition versus dogma and heavy um, Heavy scholarly kind of work; it lends itself for a more um, interpretive approach, a more um, symbolic approach, and and it's closer to me in my relationship to nature because I, I see Mary as um, well. She 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 governs our our the earth. You know, she's Mother Earth, and so that's how I really began to um, explore Mary's journey. And her journey, especially after her son uh, is crucified and her role in developing scripture for the early, the early, this early movement of uh, um, really wasn't ever called Christianity at that time, but but this new, this new beginning. And so it's very interesting to me because um, it was the new beginning in the age of uh, Piscean Age. And, um, you know, now we're in the Aquarian age and you see this, you see the similar patterns of great disruption and great uncovering, you know, the, the apocalyptic kind of um, word is really a, just means uncovering. So I find um, Mary more relevant today in her role in the first century um, AD as, as we are coming into this new age now. So...
2: Thank keeps you. revealing itself. Yeah.
0: What does um what's like the feeling state that you access when you are in communication with her?
1: It's I, I really access it from beauty. Um I access it from hope. Um a profound sense of love. You know, God is love. This is the dynamic that for me underlines everything in creation. And so it's, it's from a very much of, um, well, I have, a, I have a Sufi, a Sufi poem, you know, it's, it's God's name is come dance with me. So it comes from a very much of an energetic, um, kind of intimate, um, dance really, you know, joy mm-hmm. and love and light and
2: happiness and, um,
1: and, and so it, it rises above the conditions that we're faced with today. You know, it's, it's beyond very hopeful that all that we're going through right now is really for the good, you know, taking a break, pausing, letting nature rest. I mean, we've just exhausted so much of, um, you know, the world around us. And it's, it's a, it's a sad time right now on earth, but I think it's a hopeful time that this is, this is a new beginning. It's a new
0: Mm, Thanks for holding that. And so you worked in hospitals as a chaplain, right? I did. I did. So for anyone listening who doesn't know what that is, what is a chaplain? um, What's that work? And what was that like for you? Well, a chaplain is a... um, practice it's a it's a
1: practice it was based on religious traditions so in hospitals people would call a priest or they would call a minister or they would call a rabbi and they would come in and talk about the spiritual component of um, a person's life and so it it had a very um so it's a very it's a very long process to become a chaplain. There there are many units called clinical pastoral education that you partake in, in the hospital. You have to have a concentration in theology, and in a in a, in addition to a postmaster con, um, concentration. So you are very well trained in um, in the big questions: life, death. Purpose, um, sin, you know, suffering, um, and so that's the traditional um, component of of chaplaincy. You're, you're board certified, certified through the Council of American Bishops, um, and that has changed. In really, in the last ten years 10 or 15 years number one um you if you're a chaplain, well there are not enough priests around to come in so they've begun you know the process for lay people to become chaplains but there's also been a deeper um change in the in the field uh that people really aren't religious they don't have a religious upbringing like maybe their family of origin and they tend to be in this new emerging paradigm, more spiritual and spirituality is really a very young academic field. I I got a post master's in spirituality at Boston university, and I was one of the first to really come into that field. And, um, and, and they were really struggling to, to how do you make spirituality academic without killing the spirit. And, and there's something really to that question. Um, because spirituality, theologies come out of spirituality. They are what it is about us that is, that is spirit. And when they do that, they can absolutely lose that, that component. And that's what happened in these religions. They're, they're, they become stale or dead or people want are craving to get back to spirituality.
2: Um, I
1: kind of feel like I was tricked in becoming a chaplain because I really was on the road to become a spiritual director and helping people find and explore their spirituality. And that is a tough definition because it means a lot of things different things to different people but but it's but the simplest definition is what ultimately Calls you what ultimately you know your what's your authenticity what what is that in you and and it's kind of that essence or we have different ways of describing it but but it's you know what ultimately gives you meaning in your life and um, and so on the on the way to becoming a spiritual director I was required to take uh, this one unit of this clinical pastoral education um, and you have to you work in a hospital. So, over a year, you, you spend time working in different, with different um, patient groups to learn the process of just being present, really just listening. And so, it's a very uh, strict training. Verbatim's the theological reflections. You know, there's a format. You have to ask a question. What's your religion origin? Did I? You, you go through an intake and and you learn to pray with with uh, patients. And so, but mostly you learn this this concept of presencing. and and that is, you know, I call it the namaste. You know, you really listen deep to their soul and to their heart, and you really. Um, you, you, you get to know them through the narrative. Tell me your story. And when somebody's dying of cancer, you know, they're, they're pretty, they, they know what's important to them. And so you can go very, very deep. They can talk about their sadness, they can talk about their hurt, they can talk about their mistakes. You just hold space for that. So that's, that's the essence of a good chaplaincy program. And uh, it turns out I was just really fell in love with it. Listening to people's stories, being there with them um, was, was just such a profound, uh, I mean, a real honor to be able to walk in somebody's space. And,
2: and, and in
1: that process, they experienced their life being meaningful you know, that, that everything in their life was really coming together for a reason. And, you know, we could kind of expand on the mystery of why are we all here? And and because I have a deep foundational faith that that we're here to evolve you know we're here to get closer to that love of the divine to just you know just experience that that light you know that that that's within all of us and to and to develop it in its many facets is was really just captured me you know I could really see that that was really my calling so um I was it. I went from, you know, a path of becoming a spiritual director to this path of becoming a chaplain, you know, 12 years of formation. But, you know, it's just, it was really, um, it was really a beautiful uh, journey, really beautiful journey.
0: Yeah, it sounds so powerful to be with someone in their stories in that level of presence and listening. um yeah. And I think that the energy that you bring into that, where your context is holding people in this kind of unconditional love, um, or the context that you even see the world is felt um, and allows people to feel safe to share. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: And, And you learn to be patient. You know, the body, and I mean the organism of the body, it has such incredible wisdom. Um, you know, the patient's always putting on the best face if you walk in, but if you walk in with a reverence of really calmness, I call it non-anxious presence, that body begins to know and trust that, they, that they're safe. They can feel it. You can just see the room change. And in the practice of becoming a chaplain, you really get out of your own way. You get out of your own head and you just enter with an open heart. In, in, such, you know, sincerity, um, really honoring that person and where they're at. So you, you literally entered their space. You feel like you're entering what well, you are entering their divine, their divine space. And they're, 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 you know, they're stuck in bed. They can't leave. So you even have to be more cautious and more careful. So it was that reverence that, um, I think my, my practice of ritual, my practice, of, um, you know, church going, you know, trained me well for that, that experience.
0: I like this idea of non-anxious presence. Can you say more about what that is?
1: Well, um, that maybe leads us into uh, where did my chaplaincy take me? Because I didn't, I didn't really stay a chaplain for for that long. (laughs) And I think you know that story. Yeah, tell us. Um, I will. So, uh, I I was the I became a resident chaplain in my in my final year um, at a um, Harvard Medical Teaching Hospital in Boston, and um, so you're you're full time. You're on call. You spend the night, you know, one night a week in the hospital. Um, Tremendous experience. Just tremendous experience. And, uh, I think within the first, I mean, it it was a a acute care hospital. So you, you're, you're one night you might see a stabbing, you might see a fetal demise, you might have an end of life ceremony that you're doing, um, drug overdoses. It's just, you, you're just mind blowing what you see. And, um, and you don't really, deep you know you're there you, you 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 can do a lot of work in 10 20 minutes but it's intense and so um i had in the first week noticed that they offered uh in the department of nursing a certification for reiki and i had never done reiki before but in my training um uh, someone Uh, a chaplain said, you know, you should learn Reiki. You have Reiki hands. I didn't know what that meant. So, um, I, I did, I got, I got certified. I was approved by my supervisor that I could do that. And, and in chaplaincy, that that's a great thing because it gives you ability to touch the patient. You can hold hands and all, but now I really have the the ability to touch the, the patient. And I had this situation a month and a half into my residency where I was, I was paged to a patient who was diabetic and, and he had been told that they were going to amputate his foot. And so, you know, he just lost it as one would. And they said, you know, whenever there's a problem, like I'll just call the chap, you know, let her handle it or him handle it, you know, kind of thing. And so, um, because you are trained to be this non-anxious presence and you can go in and and kind of calm the patient down. And so you know how to listen, tell me what the problem is. And he's yelling, he's very upset. And within that context, I hear that the doctor didn't even come in. They sent in a, a physician assistant. They hadn't done maybe all the, um, protocol that they should have to have determined that, but the foot looked very, uh, almost gain, getting gangrene and he was on a IV drip or an antibiotic. And, but I could see how upset he was and, and having a have background in, um, I was a biology major, I was pre-med. So and a long time meditator and it's just like, well, the body can do great things if it's put into a place where it can relax. And settle down. Your oxygen uptake, you know, goes up. Your your you get you vital organs get more oxygen. Everything happens, and good healing can take place. The body can balance itself. And and it was this. It, it was I just heard the voice of Mary. Go touch him. And and it was touch him with Reiki. So I could hear that. I, I just was like, okay. I had this. I had this tool. And I said to him, you know, I'm going to help you relax because we're going to get that antibiotic from that, from that, you know, feed down to that foot. We're going to give you the best shot to get things organized here and, uh, and to heal. And so, um, I, I, Got some music on. I asked him what he loved. I wanted him to visualize some place that was make him happy. And and I said, you know, I'm going to do this light touch. You're gonna help you with some deep breathing. And, you know, long behold, 10 minutes in, he is sound asleep, you know, which is always good because you know when you're in that parasympathetic, you know, situation, the body can do has the best chance of of healing. So, uh, the next day I got page, no, you, you got to come back. You know, he, you healed him. They're going to save his foot. You know, He's just like over the top. And, um, and he, he just, I said, no, 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 you saved yourself. I helped you breathe. I helped you, you know, relax. I did some nice touch, you know, get the energy flowing down, but you did it yourself because in any type of work that we do, um, it's always important to empower the patient, empower the client, let them know that they have the power within. And that's really, you only heal yourself. So, so I thought about that experience and I thought, because um, you, you do a lot of writing up um, what works and what doesn't work. And I came up with, I was able to be a non-anxious presence for him you know, where I could really hold the space for him to freak out and yell and do this. But I also knew I had the capacity to calm him down. And, and I could use this new, this new um, tool of Reiki, you know. And, and so I began to put in place a protocol that we'll get to uh, probably within this conversation that uh, was really beneficial. And, and so beneficial that I started to get paid, can you send the chaplain that does the Reiki? And so now I'm not doing the religious intake. I'm not doing you know, all that. I'm doing sensation technique to help promote the body's natural ability to balance itself. And so I just became very, very consistent in that through, throughout, the, throughout my residency year and uh, that's how i that's how i began with the reiki.
0: Oh, i get emotional when you tell that story because it's so touching and inspiring and yeah, i guess what is this protocol um that you developed and i also know that you were working at the hospital during the boston marathon bombing so right. Right. Uh, I'm just wondering where that fit on the timeline um, of having developed this, and what that yeah. experience was like. So the first year I'm a resident, and I do
1: have to take my comps. And um, the Catholic Church has now banned Reiki from all Catholic hospitals, you know, because it just doesn't fit in in their concept of healing. And I'm going to be a Catholic chaplain. I'm not at a Catholic hospital, um, but but I have. This has become a big part of kind of my practice, um, but that's
2: okay. You know, I'm like realizing as the year goes on, and
1: because I don't really believe in the religious paradigm anymore, it's not really helping, but I really believe in Reiki. So literally the last week of my residency, I get a call from the Department of Nursing and from the from the the nurse that actually attuned me and she goes we have been following you for the last year in your work and everything you know his research is always like a blind study kind of thing and we want to do a pilot on what you've developed here and it was like wow I've really developed like a little protocol and they go can you teach other people to do it, and I said, "Well, sure. You know, I think uh, I can teach people to be that non-anxious presence because it's not—it's not the Reiki. It's your being in the presence of somebody else. its, it's being being a non-anxious presence in crises. You know, not, not to get caught up in the crises. You know, to to be able to walk into the eye of the storm and hold that space energetically is like an alchemy." you know, tradition, it's, it's, it's beautiful, things can change, and you're, you're empowered to be able to hold that loving presence. So I, I all of a sudden had a new job, I'm now working for the Department of Nursing, I'm, I'm, I'm heading up their healing and caring modality pilot. And long behold, one thing leads to another, and I get funded. So now I have a new job. I am a healing and curing modality specialist, teaching meditation, teaching practitioners to be it volunteers. They're their volunteer, they commit to a practicum of 100 hours, and I teach them to be non-anxious and not project their story on the patient or whatever. Let all of that go. How to meditate before you go into a room, the whole ritual of entering into that space, honoring that patient where they're at, offering this very simple relaxation technique to help promote their body's natural ability to heal, all saying the same words, the level of competency and your ability to keep it simple and articulate it. And then I could begin to document. You know, and uh, do do intakes. Was it? Did it help with their sleeplessness? Did it help with their nauseousness? Did that help with their stress level? Did it help with their anxiety? Help with pain? So then I went to collect data, you know, because that's what you do in a research hospital, and it became um, a protocol of the hospital. It still exists today, and then I taught it in about forty different hospitals. So it, it turned out to be. Um, you know, kind of this profound journey that, you know, again, I grace Mary with, you know, just touch him, you know, and and that, that coming through. So um, it was really, really beautiful. So um, that was in 2008. And in 2013, we had the Boston Marathon bombing. And I was, um, at that point, I had about 80 volunteers. So I had built this little man powerhouse, manpower house within the hospital. So, um, I was, you know, I was, I was, came down from my office with the bombings and we knew something had happened. We didn't know what, because all the, all the, um, phones had gone down there. Were, there was such an influx, but, we, we we go into this condition called amber alerts. So all the doors are locked down, and and you have um, you know people coming to pick up their mother who's had a colonoscopy, or coming to visit their wife who's in oncology, and the doors are locked, and people are starting to gather on the outside of of the uh, of the doors, along with. Another element, and we we now know it's it's family members. We now know there's been a bombing. We think it's a terrorist attack. Don't know. Then you've got media, and so um, the head of the uh, public relations came by and saw me and said, "Julie, do you have have people? Do you have volunteers here? Can you get this organized?" I said, "I do." They suppose, "Okay, help help triage this." So I was able to, you know, I'd had been like ten volunteers bring them down, put them at different stations along the doors. And then we were, we have to interview people coming in and where to go and and um, you know if you, you have somebody in the emergency room they, they knew more than we did the, the families you know because of the um, being on uh, cell phones you know they they the people saw you know their their parents getting taken uh, or family member getting taken in an ambulance they knew much more we, when we got patients coming in coming in they had already been stripped of their clothes because there was a probably we probably had about 37 um patients coming in lost limbs and so it's, it's like a war zone so we don't even know who we have and but the families know you know who we have and so trying to triage that and get them get intake on that and then help people get to just pick up their their mother or their brother or whatever from a from a you know, uh, a day surgery. So, so it began that I could coordinate things and get things done. Very, very different than mindful meditation, but I had capacity. So I was in that role. And then, um, then we, I was able to facilitate because I had all this, all these volunteers stations where we did Reiki. We set up tents and people would come in, they would cry, we would, you know, touch again, to meditate again to calm down. Again, because we could be a non-anxious presence and people were traumatized, you know, I uh, lost, we, we didn't, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, just so much concern, is he going to lose his leg, is going to lose his arm, you know, we had just so many challenging things and the patients, I really didn't see a lot of the patients at that point, but we saw so many family members, but then we began to see so many staff. Because when when you go through something like this, the emergency rooms, the, the amount of, of trauma and blood loss and, and what it takes to just um, attend to that is traumatizing in and of itself. So we had a lot of staff, especially, you know, more like orderlies and people that were cleaning up who, who were traumatized. So we began these daily sessions of seeing about, um, it, it, like within a week, we saw, let's see, like a 600- employees. And then we kept offering the services to just help them move through that. And we learned a lot about post-traumatic stress from 9-11 and, and how to intervene, not by repeating the story, but by focusing on something beautiful, something healing, you know, a much higher, um, vibration about, about what happened here, getting the information, because we did not know who did this or what happened at that point? So you're holding space for that because there are now a lot of theories coming up, terrorists attacked and, uh, Facebook. And and Boston's a pretty divided community. It's got a lot of um, history of uh, prejudice and you know the Irish against the Italians and you know, all of this kind of old old paradigm stuff. But now we have another another um, enemy, and that is you know that this concept of terrorism, us against them, and I and again, I say I, I believe that the Boston Marathon was the amplifier to nine eleven so what I began to see was we had a lot of Muslim uh, employees, wonderful, kind, beautiful people but but this prejudice began to create a divide in the hospital and that, you know, that the, the terrorists quote were from Boston. They went to school with many people who had children the same age, uh, who worked at the Brigham. You know, I was like, you know, we, we, this, we've got our illness within the community. It's not a terrorist attack and the press was painting it a certain way. And um, I felt just so sad you know, I just felt so sad because I think um, it's very reflective of our country where we're at right now, us against them. You know, it's this, it's this kind of uh, um, nasty divisiveness that, that seems to have penetrated into our, our culture and I think it was, well, not penetrated in, it's probably emerged from underneath, you know, this kind of, of divisiveness and fear. And, and so by the end of the year, I was like, you know, I really need to move on. I've, I've, sir, I've done what I was called to do. I set up a, program. You know, for for Reiki, I set up programs for healing and caring modalities. But now I'm being called in to do too many press conferences and talk about how great the Brigham is. And and it it, it was no longer, I could see too many things, you know, falling apart. Um, So not only did I have the Boston Marathon bombing, but my program also, I was called in after they couldn't give any more Oxycontin. So I had the Boston Marathon bombing. I saw so much over medication. I, I just saw just just too much, too many drugs, too many drugs. And here I could, I could naturally balance a patient without drugs. And it was kind of like, you gotta let me do a pilot on how I can help patients so we don't have to keep giving them drugs and you know they said no they go no that's the protocol this is what insurance pays for and so I I knew I was at the end of my my life there you know I had done what I had set out to do and was very proud of that work but but I had a new calling and I thought okay I'm gonna listen to that once again Mary's like okay you're done here I was like okay
2: next so mm yeah
0: so you have this ability to go into crisis situations and remain calm and I feel like as you were sharing this I'm feeling you know the current astrology right now and for like the rest of 2020 and uh, so I was thinking of it from this astrological lens and thinking about um, how people work with fear or like how we work with situations coming up that can create anxiety and how our reactiveness to certain things can inflame a situation or make things worse in a sense. And so there is really this alchemical process about remaining calm in situations that are stressful. Um, And you mentioned something about being mindful to not project stories onto the situation. So are there any other things like for listeners, for example, like basic kind of tenets of like how to enter a situation that is a crisis and remain calm from your perspective?
1: Yeah, I I think that, um, I think that, uh, just we have five senses, physical senses, and you can't help what comes up. You just can't help walk in a room and go, oh, my God. You know, it just, it just comes up. So you can't, you can't, you got to accept that. But we also have the ability to be the witness to that, you know, to step back and say, okay, I can see my mind. I can see all this going, but you can witness it. And by that, you can look at the look, you can look at it. And then you can go, is it true? Is it, you know, you know, again, take a breath, calm down, look at it. Are you reacting to what is? Are you reacting to a projection from the past, you know? Um, so so with, a, with, a, with a volunteer practitioner, I would say, who did that person remind you of? And immediately go, oh, my mother. You know, and then they would project that story. You know, I wasn't with my mother when she was dying of cancer. I feel so guilty. So I walked in, she looked like my mother. I began to cry, da 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 And I go, well, that would be your story, and that would be your projection. And that would be something that you'd have to acknowledge, but set aside, because you're, she's not your mother. You don't even know her story. And so you can tend to that later. But right now, you need to be present to what's going on. So it was such a good practice because we, sometimes we don't even know what the tape in our head is playing and we're already into the drama. You're already, we're already halfway down the road with that story. And and so it's, it's how to, how to catch yourself to, to, to not catch, but how to be aware of yourself, you know, self-actualization to say, okay, I see this playing out. I'm uncomfortable with this. I don't like, for example, I don't like conflict. I'm not going to say a word. I'm going to back out of the room. You go, okay, calm down. You know, how can you approach it in a different way? So we're always constantly integrating, you know, in developing parts of ourselves to be more present, more aware of what's of what's driving the scenario, and fear is a big component of that, and and so um, fear. Judgment, criticism—you know, all those negative things that that create that divide and that projection. We certainly see that playing out today, in on many, many, many levels. So, so through that practice of slowing down and breathing, you 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 become aware of the fight or flight or freeze situation that's kind of plaguing our our culture right now and and with that awareness you can you can find words that that slow the process down and and you get to you get to help your body slow down your mind slow down your your projection slow down so that you can remain open curious asking questions getting more information um you know, more clarity and, and the, the, the person, the other person calms down, they feel seen, you know, they they feel listened to and that's a practice from the heart. And, and then the more you practice it, you realize, wow, I was just reacting to that situation. I projected a story on that, that I didn't even, it's not even true. And so you get to slow things down and you get to have more, relationship, more respectful dialogue, more civility. You know, all those things that seem to be, <laughs> you know, forgotten right now in our, in our, um, in our present day life. So
0: hmm.
2: the question was.
0: No, that's it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, after you left the hospital, what like what was the, the next calling and what's well, the: this, calling is just,
1: your- this is just so interesting because one of the things that really stuck with me in my years in, in the hospital work was that people you know again, they've, they've moved into spirituality, they really haven't been religiously trained anymore that that's no longer serving them. So they're coming into this new field of spirituality and, and we've lost touch with what that is or what it can mean. Um, it, and it's, yeah, for me, it's about asking the big questions. Why are we here? What's our purpose? How do we serve? You know, what's the meaning of life? And so I began to think, you know, people, people don't know how to address those questions. Little won't even think about them. So I had done, I thought I could do a retreat model where people could come and um, I could come up with a methodology that would really help people be able to explore um, their journey in a way that was um, life giving, purposeful, meaningful. And so, after a lot of research, um, I ended up in Ojai, uh, California. And you've been here, so you know that I have this little retreat. Yeah, it's amazing. And, yeah, it's cute, but it's based on on kind of the history of again this this Gnostic tradition going back to Mary, that Ojai was it was a center for Theosophy and a center for um, learning and and this Gnostic tradition of this new age movement started by uh, a Russian mystic by the name of Banem Blotsky. And so I was really intrigued with that and felt that there was a lot of, there's a long tradition of healing in this valley from the Shumash Indians and uh, the medicine wheel and really sacred holy land that, that was developed into different um, foundations. The Ojai foundation is here, meditation mount, and a lot of it built on this, this new age philosophy. And so it became, you know, uh, a really ideal place I thought to, to, to be. Again, Mary's, you know, with me, guiding me. I found a house this one afternoon. I came up, my second visit to Ohio. I was here about three hours and bought this property because, you know, Mary just guided me. I would pray and she, you know, she would say, yes, this, this is the property. So it was, uh, that was a fascinating journey in and of itself to just trust, you know, leaving a, a good job and leaving all this and just going, okay, new chapter. And, and so that's been, I've been here six years now and I am into, uh, as you know, I studied astrology with you. I went on and wanted to learn about that because it's certainly a part, probably the most important part of all of our birthrights to look at, you know, the, the day we were born, the time and place and, and that map that is so beautifully laid out with astrology. So that was one component. When I could sit down and say to someone, look at all of this here. And I could begin to go, look at this lifetime, you know, what, what, what you are. you brought in things from a past lifetime. So now I'm introducing, you know, a, a, a philosophy or a theology. They're thinking about, who was I before I came? You know, past lives, you know, that's that's a reincarnationist. It's different than, you know, you're going to die and go to hell or whatever. It's like, forget it. You know, that's crazy. You know, we we, we are everlasting. And so um, I began to really get into that. As you know, you came out here with a few other fellow astrologers the big cancellation in January that <laughs> changed a lot of things up. Um, oh my. But but so I I continued on that and it really resonates with me. And now I am into studying the tarot because I believe that you know we are storied people and that it comes out of this. I, I do the Golden Dawn tradition and um and again it comes back to this that I think I've always been searching for and how to, how to use the symbols and the, and the cards and the relationship to really help one explore their narrative and their purpose in a deeper way. So it's been exciting to, 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 to see all this kind of coming together, this, this gnostic tradition, the Essenes, Mary in the first century and her tradition and what she was doing, and now bringing it into this time and place in a new way. So I'm excited. I am mm. just so excited to explore it. And um, I am a little retreat now for families that have been in their COVID bubble since March, and they come up, and the children are just so it's like a magical place for them. They can run around and swim and be in the yoga studio and out in the garden. And I do maybe a little tarot card reading for them to just take away all that fear. And this is going to really be good. We're going to learn so much from this time. And, you know, that, that's the tarot. It's based on the tree of life. It's based on the cabal, you know, and, and God is good on every step of the path, you know, and, in um, Coming back to uh, one on the path is number six, the lovers, and it's all about beauty, and it's all about creation, and how to believe that so above, so below, and pull those things together to see the divine and the beauty in all that we're doing, especially now, Mm -hmm. when it doesn't look so beautiful, and there really is, it's a profound time, profound time.
0: You've created such a beautiful space, a beautiful sanctuary, and I'd love to know what your thoughts are on how being in a beautiful environment can affect a person's psyche and spirit. Oh, such a good, good question.: Ah,
1: um, oh. uh, let me ask you, how does it affect you? you're around beauty that's how our conversation before this podcast started you you said you live with a roommate who creates beauty How how do you feel with that
0: yeah so my housemate is actually a libra and a pisces moon like you um and she's really skilled with design and um brings a lot of plants into the house and um I think like for me, I've been investing so much of my creative energy on creating online space and my writing. So a lot of my aesthetic design skills go into my internet life and my home life, the way I design my room, for example, is it's beautiful, but it's very simple. I haven't been um, focused on physical environments as much, so my housemate i'm just in awe of her design skills and you know enchanted by it really and just being in a place whenever you know when i stayed at your place here wherever i'm somewhere that's beautiful i just feel spacious and i feel like i have access to feelings more easily um i work a lot with manifestation and techniques to elevate my mood and my consciousness. And part of those teachings, you know, and can emphasize that we can see past or see beyond current circumstances and access things imaginally or through visualization and to essentially choose how we want to feel. But I find that an environment that's beautiful makes like the environment works for you along that path of elevation. So you're yeah. not having to see past it and fantasize, you know, it's like heaven is already on earth at that point. Yeah. So it, it gives you a lot of boost, I think.
1: Yeah. And, and I believe heaven is on earth, you know, and I, I access it. through. I take all my, um, learning from nature
2: is so important. You know, we talk about a fin shui
1: or balance. So important. Nature is so beautifully balanced. And you can feel that in the space because we are nature. You know, we come from the earth. So our our organism is so sensitive to spatial connection. And in part of being grounded, and it's a it's a real science word, you know, really being part of the earth and getting that energy flow is to be is to be in sync or in Reiki, we call it attuned. You know, so we have, we have all the chakras attuned to nature. So it's, 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 and that's, that's beautiful. When you, when you, Attune somebody in the hospital and you're working with them. You know, they go from pale to almost like a yellow, pale or, you know, tight, and, you know, cold, almost looking. And, but when you, when you breathe that life into them and not literally breathe it in, but through the touch and through your own, your own rhythm of your breath, you see their body pink up. You see the, their blood flow. You see this um, emergence of this life force energy. And beauty has abundance of that life force energy. It's it's alive, and so beauty means very different things to different people. But you know, when you go into a space, it feels alive. It feels warm. It feels healing. You know, you you're catching this essence that is almost intangible, but it, but it but it is it's ethereal. So you you can feel it, and so you know, when you came on the property, I have, you know, gardens and all, but but the energy in the gardens, and this is why I bought this particular property, it was really, tra- there was no garden at all, but I could see the vortex <laughs> and the energies, you know, spinning around, and that's what Ohio's kind of noted for. It's got a lot of, minerals. It's got a lot of um comes out of the bottom of the ocean. It's got very dramatic mountains. It's it's got just a lot of ley lines. And so that, that energetic component is a part of its beauty that people go, oh my God, it's so and they just go so beautiful. But what they're trying to say is it's so alive. There's something here that I can't really capture. And that's the essence of of kind of that um, Ethereal feel you know uh, this is a, this is kind of a random story but it, uh, it's helpful to maybe um create the picture um I, I was called to a patient uh, who had um, survived the longest code in the Brigham's history, and a code is when your heart stops but you still have a pulse, and they try to revive you. And It's very violent. It's 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 really intense. But for 83 minutes, they worked on this man, and he came back, and he did not have brain damage or, or any other um, damage. And you're always kind of like afraid about that. But they they called me in to, to meet with them. And, um, prior to my going in, uh, they've got to call a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist said, well, you know, what you experienced, um, was this and this electronics in your head, you know, the, the, you saw light and that's what happens da, 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 da. So, um, I go in and I, and I don't know, he's met with the psychiatrist. I don't know anything about that. And I, I, look at him and I go, you know, as chaplain, I'm supposed to ask you what your religion is, but I got to tell you, I know what your religion is, and you've been born again. And he goes, yes, I have. And I go, how was it? He goes, it was so beautiful. And and I go, he goes, I was just so drawn to the light. I was walking down the tunnel. I was so drawn. It was so beautiful. And then I said, well, why'd you come back? And he goes, and this is this is so cute. He goes. I saw my refrigerator <laughs> and it goes and on it was a picture of my son and my son said, dad, I need you. And he said, okay. And he goes, came back. And so I'm trying to make the analogy of, you know, beauty is so compelling because when you're drawn to that light, you're drawn to that ethereal thing. He was a glow. He had experienced something on such a level in his body that he was born again, <laughs> Made that life force energy in him. And beauty can do that. You know, you can be having you know, a bad day and you can light a candle with a rose and just sit and look at how beautiful it is. Just the light, the flickering, you know, the nuances of that, that the complexity of, of a flower, it's beauty. I mean, you're blown away. I'm blown away when I sit down and I go, oh my God, could could I could never even come close to this, you know? Like nature can do it so much better, and so all you have to do is have a little place in your house where you where you have a flower or something, a piece of tapestry. You know, I do altars all the time, all over the place, as you know. Oops, sorry about that. And turn this off. <laughs> um, and 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 so it just it's it just changes the it changes the energy really. It changes the energy and the dynamic and it, and it gets, it calls in that, um, you know, what, what do we say? It calls in the, the spirit. It calls in that, that relationship that's accessible to all of us all the time. So, um, so beauty is, it's powerful, just really powerful. And, you can do it with your thought. You're a visualizer. You can do it with your thought. And so part of the thing that I did in the hospital was therapeutic suggestion. Go to some place that you love. And that basically is someplace that's going to be beautiful. And because the mind cannot focus on two things at one time. You can focus on one thing. So you can focus on the negative or you can change it and focus on something beautiful. And, and that, that alone will elevate your, your endorphins, your, you know, your serotonin, and, and it will change the way you think. So then, then you have more blood flow, you have more connections in your, in your brain to new, to, to challenges. God bless you. To challenges that, you know, you, you, you are perceiving that you can't get through in those blocks. So it's, um it's It's very
2: powerful, very very
0: powerful. I just love that it's I think that sometimes beauty um at like a at a superficial glance, you know it can be seen as just a superficial thing, but it's actually so life giving and so that was very evocative the way you described how it brings blood flow and um how you can shift your day by looking at a flower and lighting a candle. Um, And I really feel that people who are listening to this are going to feel a sense of calm or peace emanating from the conversation, um, which, you know, it translates over the airwaves as well. So thank you so much for um, joining me on the show and sharing your experiences. which are really inspiring. And I feel like I'm going to have like a fresh experience looking at flowers and beautiful things from this conversation.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful.
0: Yeah. So how can people um, find you or get in contact with you? Great. You know, they can just send me an email.
1: You can share that with them. And I'd love to hear from people what their journey is, what they're going through, what resonated about what I said, you know, because I'm, I'm on the journey too. I'm, I'm really taking a sabbatical year to look at the next, the next reiteration of myself, next chapter, because a lot of things are up in the air right now. And, you know, I don't know how that's going to play out, but I'm excited to explore it and to see Thank you, Julie. You're welcome, Sabrina. I'm really honored. I love having been with you and getting to know you. And I'm just so proud of all that you're doing. It's really beautiful.
0: Oh, thank you, Julie. Yeah. It's really um, been wonderful to spend time with you and hear your perspectives on astrology and your perspectives on charts with this depth um, of presence that you bring to it. Beautiful. So if you want to send a note to Julie, you can do so by sending her an email at Jules, that is J-U-L-E-S. And then the numbers 101953 at AOL.com. Jules 101953 at AOL.com. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I would love to hear your thoughts. If you write a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes and take a screenshot before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a free gift, a resource library that contains videos on elevating and creating your reality. This is a line of thinking that... I came to really value as I rewired my brain away from depression and got really into manifestation teachings. If you're newer to the podcast or to the whole thing I'm doing in general, I want to also let you know that I write weekly forecasts at monarchastrology.com. And if you sign up for my mailing list, that's the best way to stay in touch about when my astrology reading bookings open up again and to get the weekly forecasts. I also publish them, like a video version of them, to YouTube most weeks. So you can sign up um, or you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, it's just Sabrina Monarch. Um, But I still think my mailing list is the best way to stay in touch with me and I have the link to that in the notes. If you're enjoying this show, please tell your friends and your ratings and reviews are really helpful as well. I want to read and share a recent one from Between the Realms. I love this podcast. Sabrina is one of my favorite astrologers. I appreciate the soul level work she does and how this comes forward in both her conversations as well as her solo episodes. What she offers feels more like an energetic transmission, it's grounding, inspiring, and energy shifting. I often feel my mood and energy shifted pleasantly after listening to an episode. Thank you for the lovely podcast, Sabrina." These reviews mean so much to me. Um, They are definitely touching for me to read and to feel those reflections. Um, And it's also really helpful for helping other people who are just browsing the internet stumble upon this podcast and be invited into this universe with us. So thank you for listening. I hope that you have a beautiful week and I'll catch you next time.